Hey folks, Adam B. Levine here with a special two-part episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. There's a lot to be learned from recent episodes at the Dow, and we're talking about them here now. On today's episode, we'll be going over what actually happened and the weight of a communique that might or might not have come from the attacker, but which makes such profound points against the current narrative that its authenticity simply doesn't matter much. Then we'll turn things over to the host of The Filter, who spent almost an hour this morning talking with Griff Green about what's going on right now with the Dow, how they see events, and how they want people to respond to things. Part 2 will be out sometime between Sunday and Tuesday, and will feature Andreas Antonopoulos' interview with smart contracts attorney Pamela Morgan on the threat of lawsuits flying from both sides of the conflict, as well as the greater implications of what's going on here. So what happened at the Dow? What was the mistake that turned an even bigger launch than Ethereum's wildly successful crowd sale into a state of halt and catch fire? Without getting into the technical details and keeping this at a high level, the problem seems to have been as simple as getting the order of actions wrong when supporters of the DAO decided to go their separate ways. Like the mighty Amoeba, the DAO is designed to let the organization split into smaller, more specialized, or at least divergent groups, basically at will. When allowing someone with DAO tokens to take their portion of the Ether owned by the DAO and create their own smaller version that they, and potentially their supporters or friends, can control as they wish, accepting the increased personal risk, greater control, and lesser pool of assets that comes along with breaking away from the main group. The splitting process works in three sequential steps. Step 1. Verify that the user owns the tokens they wish to split. Step 2. Transfer Ether from the DAO to the new split equal to the amount of tokens the user is converting. And step 3 is burn or destroy the tokens that the user is splitting so that they can't be used to split again since they've now their value has been withdrawn from the system. The process itself is sound, but the order in which the actions are performed prove to be its undoing. This is simplified, but let's imagine I'm going to split one Ethereum away from the DAO. Step 1. The system validates that I actually have enough tokens to convert. I do, so no problem here. Then step 2. The DAO sends Ether from the main pool to the group that I control. At this moment, after step 2 has completed, but before step 3 has completed, I start the split process over, which takes me back to step 1. Since step 3 never happened, the tokens I redeemed were never burned, which means that step 1 finds that I do in fact own enough tokens to redeem one Ethereum, which takes us back to step 2 where my reward is now sent for a second time. Before step 3 is burned my redeemed tokens, I start the process over again and you can very quickly see the problem here. If the process involved burning the tokens first and then sent the split on proof of that burn, this attack would be impossible. But this isn't lazy or bad design, it's early design. Nobody knows what the right way to build smart contracts is. And while this weakness might have gone unexploited had the DAO not been such a wildly successful project, smart contracts are the ultimate pinatas. The bigger the value locked up inside of one, the greater the incentive to bust it open to get at the good stuff inside. At this time, the attacker has drained more than $60 million worth of ether, and the community has quickly gotten to arguing about how to deal with this. I don't see a right answer and don't know that there is one at this point, so we're not going to spend any time talking about how to address this on today's episode. But it is worth taking the time to consider the minority viewpoint, which is that the attacker, as we call them, might not actually be in the wrong here. And that's a very interesting thing to think about.
a signed note recently appeared on Pastebin. And uh, basically, it's claiming to be from the person who took the money from the DAO. And uh, the verification, you know, it, it's signed by a key, but the verification looks like it might not be real. But it sort of doesn't matter. The, the case that's being made here is that it is legitimate to take any money you can get from a smart contract because that's the point of a smart contract. A smart contract is a self-enforcing mechanism. And that's, uh, that's frankly a thing that's understood about them. And so his ability, this person's ability, whether it is them or not, to extract money out of it that they shouldn't have been able to extract doesn't actually represent any kind of breach because the contract is the law. And if the contract allows this, then by definition, it's allowed. So that's kind of the, that's really what, what got me most interested in this concept this morning is just that there really is a valid argument in his favor. Uh, you know, in their favor, not assuming that it's a man who's doing the attacking. Uh, so, so let me just read this to you just for context. And again, we don't know if this is really from the attacker, uh, the attacker, uh, or if it's just somebody, you know, being, being douchey, but, uh, but here it is to the DAO and Ethereum community. I've carefully examined the code of the DAO and decided to participate after finding the feature where splitting is rewarded with additional ether. I have made use of this feature and have rightfully claimed 3,641,694 Ether, and I would like to thank the DAO for this reward. It's my understanding that, that the DAO code contains this feature to promote decentralization and encourage the creation of child DAOs. I am disappointed by those who are characterizing the use of this intentional feature as theft. I am making use of this explicitly coded feature as per the smart contract terms, and my law firm has advised me that my action is fully compliant with the United States criminal and tort law. For reference, please review the terms of the DAO. And then here's the relevant part. Quote, the terms of the DAO creation are set forth in the smart contract code existing on the Ethereum blockchain at, and then the address of the smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain. Nothing in this explanation of terms or in any other document or communication may modify or add any additional obligations or guarantees beyond those set forth in the DAO's code. Any and all explanatory terms or descriptions are merely offered for educational purposes and do not supersede or modify the express terms of the DAO's code set forth in the blockchain. To the extent you believe there to be any conflict or discrepancy between the descriptions offered here and the functionality of the DAO's code at, and again it gives the address, the DAO's code controls and set f sets forth all terms of the DAO creation. So just breaking in real quick. That does seem to say, <laughs> in no uncertain terms, that the code is the law, and so anything by definition that can be done. I mean, like if you take that logic and play it out, then you can totally see the argument in favor of this being not so much an attack as a legitimate use of the code, and the code just happened to be poorly designed. So this matters. <laughs> this matters a lot. Uh, so, so anyways, getting back into it. This is, again, the attacker um, speaking now that they've done, they're done quoting the DAO's code. A softer hard fork would amount to seizure of my legitimate and rightful ether, claimed legally through the terms of a smart contract. Such fork would permanently and irrevocably ruin all confidence in not only Ethereum, but also in the fields of smart contracts and blockchain technology. Many large Ethereum holders will dump their ether and developers, researchers, and companies will leave Ethereum. Make no mistake, any fork softer hard will further damage Ethereum and destroy its reputation and appeal. I reserve all rights to take any and all legal action against any accomplices of illegitimate theft, freezing, or seizure of my legitimate ether, and I'm actively working with my law firm. Those accomplices will be receiving cease and desist notices in the mail shortly. 
I hope this event becomes a valuable learning experience to the Ethereum community and wish you all the best of luck. You're surely the attacker. Okay, so once again, we don't actually know if this is the attacker or not, but it totally doesn't matter. This is a really, really interesting argument because it takes what the narrative has been, which is that uh, any attempt to soft or hard fork, any attempt by the uh, Bitcoin, uh, sorry, by the Ethereum community to address this issue is basically like stopping a bank robbery. And this analogy comes from exchanges. When exchanges have the ability, uh, when the exchanges in the past have been robbed and when they are robbed, that really is a lot like a bank uh, robbery. Like there's a, a specific company whose job it is to trust and safeguard these funds. Someone figures out a way to exploit one of their systems and pulls money out that isn't theirs in violation of the terms of service of actually using that service. Uh, and it, it can break other laws too, but there's at least that. There's always that it's wrong to do this because it's not an approved use. That's a fundamental thing of most terms of service you're going to sign. In the case of the DAO, it, that's not the case, it appears. It looks like any sort of action that the system allows, just like Bitcoin, right? The system, if if you can put a transaction into the Bitcoin blockchain, then de facto, that means that it's an allowable transaction because you complied with all the rules to get into the network. So Bitcoin, you know, is really simple, right? Like it, it's just trying to do these transactions and then it has some special features, but they're like hard coded features. But on Ethereum, you, you take that same paradigm, right? Anything that is possible is by definition allowable and you transpose it over onto a system where you can do so many more things. And I mean, like, it just seems like this is unavoidable. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means for smart contracts. I don't know if it just means we need to work on them a lot longer in order to get there, or if we need to completely just rethink this idea that we can have contracts that can be completely automatable, because it seems like there will always be situations where people have all kinds of good reasons why this is so important to do, why it matters so much to save the currency from its fate, right? And on both sides right now, we have people arguing that to restore confidence, we need to do whatever it is that they think that we need to do. And so on the one hand, you've got people saying, you know, if we do this, then we're no better than banks where this is, you know, this is a too big to fail situation. So we can't give special treatment. You know, all pigs are equal, except some pigs are more equal than others. Like you have all of those maxims coming out that, that we've used against these other systems. Uh, and, but, and yet people are saying that, so if you fix this, if you change this, if you uh, change the reality, then you sacrifice all of that. And that's totally true. It's, it's, a, it's a valid concern. Because once you go down that path, once you've made the exception for one circumstance, why wouldn't you make it for other circumstances? And again, this is, this is true in Bitcoin too. In uh, earlier days, there were hard forks and fixes, but fundamentally, this is different. Fundamentally, this is different because it's a smart contract that's an investment vehicle, right? You had perhaps uh, security vulnerabilities that affected the entire system, but this is different. So I'm just fascinated by this. Tomorrow, we're going to have an uh, interview with Andreas and uh, Pamela Morgan, um, who's a lawyer who's focused a lot on smart contract law. We've had her on the show a number of times before. Um, so I just wanted to kind of get out there, uh, and, you know, talk about this, talk about the fact that there's a really interesting situation going on here that looks like it's going to be very influential moving forward and that we don't know what the right answer is. And it's very, you can definitely argue it from both sides. So I, I'm very curious to know what people think about this. Are smart contracts 
truly autonomous? Can they be, should they be truly autonomous? Are we just not there yet? Will we never be there? You know, what, what does it take to solve problems that you can't foresee in the future when you don't have the ability to fix them when you do identify them, right? Like, do we just need to design better smart contracts that are able to be modified in this fashion more easily? Or does that open us up to even more attack vectors because that adds more complexity into these systems and more potential? So I'm just rambling at this point. So many parts of the cryptocurrency ecosystem are experiments, and this is probably the biggest one of all. It's how much can we automate and where is there value in automating? Where is there just danger? The DAO, I think, you know, is cracking up. You know, it's, it's clear that that experiment is over. Uh, for better or worse, and the ones that come after will hopefully be very much informed by what's happened here today. At times like this, I like to bring up the concept of shining examples and horrible warning. Uh, it's a pretty clear metaphor. You know, we want to be more like shining examples, right? So you want to look at, at companies that are doing things that you want to emulate, look at people who are doing things that you want to emulate, who radiate goodness, radiate productivity, right? We want to be like those people. And so you, you watch them and you learn from them and you try to emulate the things that they do. And on the other side, you've got your horrible warnings. And this is, you know, the guy who has his hair on fire, who you definitely don't want to be. And there's really nothing good that can happen for him at this point. But there's good stuff that can happen for you by observing him and hopefully taking steps so that your hair doesn't catch on fire. And uh, <laughs> so that's, that's, I guess, where I'll leave this. We don't see many shining examples or many horrible warnings most of the time. Most companies, most people, somewhere in between. So uh, when you see something like this, to all you future DAO creators out there, just learn the lesson when it's somebody else's hair and not your own. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a supplemental session of The Filter. We today are going to talk with our man, Griff Green. Unless you've been sleeping under a rock, uh, you will know that the last 24 hours in crypto has been a wild ride, to say the least. Uh, about two, two and a half weeks ago, uh, Ethereum and the Dow were on top of the world. Tens of millions of dollars were raised for the uh, the distributed autonomous organization, uh, a smart contract uh, that was to show the way of the future, a um, an example of what Ethereum can do. And uh, here we are a few weeks later, and uh, I think it's safe to, to call it a, a tragedy of epic proportions for the DAO. Um, and I know that the, the last 24 hours have been a wild ride for us spectating. Uh, you can only imagine how difficult it has been for the team behind the DAO, um, in particular, our man Griff Green, and uh, we are going to talk with him right now. Let me bring him in. Griff, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Griff, Griff, welcome, welcome. Where, where are you at right now? Uh, I'm at, in Mittweida, Germany, uh, actually at Christoph's mom's house. Christoph and Simon are, uh, you know, founders of Slocket, uh, along with Stefan Twell. And we're basically based in Mittweida for now until 
well, well, we were hoping to work for the Dow, uh, but unfortunately, that doesn't seem very uh, likely now. But uh, we, we, man, I have got to say, because uh, I'm at Uma Yench's house, and she has been treating me like a superstar. It is so nice. These guys have it good. You know, that's how you end up with nice people. You have an awesome mom. That's, that's, always, that's always consistent. So, excellent, yeah. Excellent. Living you're, up you're, at house. You're, you're, get, you're getting some mom treatment during a, what must have been a very rough uh, last 24 hours. Can you can you take me uh, on a journey, if you will? Uh, how, how did you learn about this this problem? And then what has you been know, happening over the last 24 hours? Yeah, everything always comes down to the community. Uh, they've always been there to support us and help us through this. And of course, the bug, um, the attack was first noticed by... Uh, on the Slack, his name is Shorabit. Um, I call him Mo, and he alerted me. I woke up and I was just looking through, you know, on my phone, looking at what's going on on the Slack, and I saw his message. And he said, "Hey, there's something weird going on with the Dow." He had checked uh, a site. I think it was DowEther.ai. That the total supply was, you know, tanking. Um, not the total supply, excuse me. The actual balance of the Dow was tanking, and so. Uh, that was concerning, obviously. And so when I looked it up and saw that the total supply of DAO tokens did not match the... Because I thought there was just some kind of huge split or something that I didn't know about. Um, but when I saw that the total supply and the actual balance were not ma mi uh, mixing, it was red alert. And in demon dialing everyone uh, on the team... Uh, you know, obviously, Stefan, uh, he was still asleep. Uh, Simon, uh, was able to get, we were able to get a hold of him. Actually, Shorebit got a hold of him, too. Uh, so we were both working on it together. And we got everyone involved. And um, yeah, then it was, it was go time. Uh, we had to, we were talking to Vitalik and everybody involved. And it was really beautiful. The, very quickly, probably within an hour of finding out about the thing, maybe two, there was a plan that was set. So um, it seemed uh, we weren't sure if we were going to ever be able to stop the attacker. And so Vitalik and uh, Christoph and Lefteris and, and all the geniuses in, in, in Ethereum uh, decided to try to spam the network to slow down the drain of the DAO and to um, present an opportunity for a soft fork and a hard fork to undo the damage that has been done. And so that blog post went out very quickly, actually. So I'm, I'm kind of speeding through the day. Um, mm -hmm. That blog post went out very quickly. And I, I always watch the markets. Um, I'm a big fan of prediction markets and uh, like uh, Martin from Gnosis. And of course, every, a lot of people know about Augur as well. These are prediction markets that allow people who have money in the game to kind of predict the future. And really, stock markets and every every kind of financial market is in itself a prediction market. And so mm -hmm. I was watching, I was always watching the Ether price and how I was reacting to things. And when uh, Vitalik put out this plan to do a soft fork and then a hard fork and make sure all the funds were going to go back to the people that um, were being attacked so that the attacker cannot be so that the attacker does not win, the uh, the price went right back up. It was really amazing to see how quickly the market can react to things that Vitalik says. <laughs> um, yes. So 
so then um and then but as the day went on um more people became involved and um you know a hard fork is a very scary word to people especially in the bitcoin world and uh so even though bitcoins had many hard forks and so is ethereum uh when uh, as the discussion raged on more people were like maybe a hard fork is overdoing it you know this is just one dap that is not it's not like a real a specific problem with the ethereum blockchain right and so well, but you're t- and you're talking about a hard fork of the ethereum blockchain is that correct Yes, yes. And so, but I, I will, maybe I'll get into the hard fork once we get through the chronology uh, yes. of the day, because this is really fun. Um, yeah, I'm recounting it in my own head, and I forgot all these things happened. Yes. It was it was one, it was only probably maybe a 19-hour day, but it, it seemed like it was three weeks. Yes, you're, um, you're in the time warp. But, you know, please yeah. proceed, yes. Okay, so, um, so as there's debate rolling on about whether or not the soft fork and hard fork is a good idea, Things are getting DDoSed. I mean, uh, Vitalik's blog post actually, I believe, was DOSed, and no one could even read it. It had to be reposted on Reddit by people that clicked the link before so many people clicked the link. And uh, I mean, and I assume there's market makers that are doing crazy things to uh, take advantage of the situation. Uh, these, you know, the wild, wild west of Bitcoin and, and Ethereum markets. But uh, so then. Uh, People were debating the hard fork, and while that was happening, um, we were analyzing the attack and trying to figure out how did this happen, what happened. Um, we were working with uh, some of the brightest minds in Solidity space. I didn't get their permission to talk about whether or not they were um, part of, the, whether or not I should say their names that they were working on this, but because it's kind of like black ops, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so but Lefteris and I think I think I can say Jordy and and PS Dev. Uh, Jay Valina, who uh, created delegated voting for the DAO, and PS Dev, who has also uh, created some DAOs, and was both very knowledgeable about this, um, were able to gather. I mean, left wrist. Let me just say, incredible, incredible work yesterday and today. Just coming up with attacks. I don't think he left his computer for 20 hours straight, just attacking the dedication. But he, we were able to recreate the attack and figure out what happened. And now we have things in place. And I don't want to exactly give away too much because, of course, this is a very sensitive topic. And I don't want to say how we recreated the attack or what our plans are to prevent, um, to at least give a safety net in case more funds are taken from the Dow. Um, But we do have plans in place that uh, will hopefully safeguard the Dow uh, from any further loss. Although um, the only way anything can be saved, as far as we can tell, is a hard fork. Um, but we'll get there. So and when, we're and able when to you say, and when you say saving the DAO, you're talking about saving the ether behind the DAO, correct? Yes, yes. The DAO is broken. The DAO is can't be saved. I, I don't see any reason for the DAO to try. I mean, the better thing would, to do would be to make a new DAO if someone wants to make a DAO. And I think that the lessons learned here for DAOs will forever be make all DAOs after this so much better. And uh, I mean, the future for DAOs is bright. I know that. And uh, I think this will really help make sure that these kind of, you know, very uh, tragic things don't happen again. But yes. so 
as the day went on, while they're debating soft fork, hard fork, and all the, a lot of people are weighing in on whether the validity of each option, uh, we were able to recreate the attack. And um, actually, Alex Vandesan, I want to give him a huge shout out because he was very, um, very helpful in making in um, you know saying that he would help us uh, on our Black Ops mission, and uh, and a few other people have been really stepping it up. But um, but yeah, and so uh, eventually we got to a point where we realized no matter what we do, I mean, we have some other cool attacks that we could do to even potentially attack the child DAO, uh, the attack DAO, but it, none of it really is working out. And the only way forward that we can see um, as the day went on, it just seemed more and more obvious, was the, the first instinct of Vitalik and all the all the brains in the Ethereum network, which is to hard fork the blockchain. And um, maybe I should go in. I feel like that was kind of the day. I, I will say that mostly what I was doing was just trying to communicate with everyone, take the information here, get it there, uh, get the community, make sure everyone is like calm and curious. I mean, the Slack. We usually are so much better at eliminating profanity every time someone says anything. It was a tough day for that mission, um, to say the least. Indeed, but sure. yeah, it was a it was a really it was a really I actually it was pretty exciting. You know, it was pretty crazy, and uh, it was it was kind of like war. It really felt like there was a bomb dropped, and it was time it was time to act. And yes. uh, so yeah. Well, I can I can tell you as a as a spectator, it was uh, it was like a bomb got dropped. I mean, there yeah. was um, lots and lots of people, uh, you know, here locally trying to figure out what's going on, which way is up. You know, I have some DAO. What should I do? I have Ethereum. What's going to happen to Ethereum? I mean, it's um, it was a wild ride for everybody. I'm sure nothing compared to what you guys went through, but um, I can only imagine, you know, how you know, the war room, so to speak, when you guys all got together and tried to figure out uh, what was going and what, what were the best ways forward, knowing that the whole world was watching, um, waiting for, for more information. Um, so kudos, kudos to you guys. Uh, you know, um, I'm sure the last 24 hours couldn't have been easy. Um, and, uh, well, we're, we're, we're going to try and make the most of it going forward and make it a, a learning moment for all of crypto. You know, yeah. uh, hopefully this makes everything go <laughs> better in the future and we all will have learned from this. You know, we've had tragedies in the past. Bitcoin's not uh, immune from these kinds of mass, you know, massive implosions, se seemingly existential threats to the entire system. And, yeah. uh, well, um, it's never as bad as you think it is, you know, a month or two or a year later. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit about what actually happened now, because I think a lot of people are so new to this space, they don't fully understand how a DAO or a child DAO could take control of funds and, and start uh, asking the DAO to pay out, even having the DAO pay out without some sort of consensus going on. So what, what exactly yeah. happened I don't know how. Yeah, I can kind of describe it. I don't really want to go into the exact details because now we know exactly how it happened. But if I tell you that, then guess what? You guys might try to attack the DAO or anyone who sees this. So, but I can say that uh, there was a, a kind of a, I don't want to call it a bug, but it, there is an issue in the Solidity protocol of how to use. There's two functions for sending, not to get too technical. There's the call function. 
and the send function. And when you use the call function, it allows you to call contracts and have basically unlimited gas. When you use the send function, the send function limits how much gas can be used. So uh, at certain times, it's important to use the call function because you this function might be used to call other contracts. And there is a certain protocol which changed about two weeks ago uh, because uh, this recursive call function bug was discovered. Uh, mm -hmm. That uh, actually MakerDAO also was able to attack their own DAO and save their funds. Kudos to those guys. Um, mm -hmm. For us, it was a lot more complicated because the, um, well, again, I shouldn't get too deep into it. But either way, the basically, they used this recursive call function exploit in a, within a split DAO to within a contract within a split DAO. And it was very, very extensive. Uh, no one's going to be able to recreate it if, unless they're a Solidity dev who's got a lot of experience, which is well, one thing. Who, who is this attacker? There's probably only like 500 people it could really be. So right, right. Um, well, unless know, they're doing an independent that, study. Yeah, I know that you had the code audited by the author of Solidity, right? The, the, the person that created the Solidity language uh, yeah. audited this code before it went out. I wouldn't say that he audited it, but he is an advisor, and we've worked closely with him for years. I mean, Christoph and Lefteris and, and Christian are all really good buddies. So, yeah. Yeah. What, what will this do? What, what message does this send to potential contract developers? Do you think they'll be very shy to create their own contracts, wondering if they're writing code that could have a bug and could you know, you know money could disappear based on code that a, a new Solidity developer creates? I'll tell you right now, we did not expect this contract to get that much money. Um, we thought it was an experiment. You know, this is like the first real DAO. And uh, some members of our team were physically ill when it was raising this much money. I was excited because I am not a security expert. Let me just say that. Nowhere near a security expert. And so I'm like, wow, we're doing such a great job. Our company is you know, killing it. This is amazing. Look at this. People love us. This, is this feels really good. And so I was like surprised. Why, how can you be sad about this? It's like because it was such a honeypot. Because it was, we, we chose to go try to create a true decentralized autonomous organization. And one of, the, one of the choices was to not have a cap because we saw what happened to the Digix crowd sale. I mean, straight up, me, me, me personally, I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure if I was going to participate in the Digix crowd sale, but I never had the opportunity because it was over before I woke up. Um, it lasted about 14 hours. I, I was in the West Coast. It just didn't work out for me. So, so then, you know, we saw that and a cap just didn't make any sense because let's say we cap it at, especially considering how much fund, how many funds were raised. Uh, if we would have capped it at 20 million, that could have been done in, you know, 10, 20 minutes, or, mm -hmm. you know, and then is that a decentralized autonomous organization? I don't think so. There's could be someone with, you know, 70% of the tokens just like that. So, yes. So you know, there were. I think this will help make some design choices. Uh, Vitalik actually recommended that no smart contract should ever hold over ten million dollars. It's just too risky. Um, I mean, this Ethereum is in the Homestead release phase. There's going to be a lot of. Uh, there have been already several um, interesting things that have happened in the Ethereum space because it's such an 
it's such a versatile protocol that can do so many things. And yet it is completely run by a token of value. So, I mean, that these two things really create so many opportunities for hacks and, and issues that it's... Um, yeah, well, some, people, some people have called this a $150 million bug bounty. Um, and yeah. I, I, can, I can only imagine what, what, how that gives pause to a future developer, you know, yeah. someone who's got some grand idea, he writes it, um, yeah. That's the same, same. That's the same with Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is a $7 billion, or probably more now. It's a $10 billion now that it's gone up so much, I don't even know. Um, mm -hmm. Haven't been following, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, it, right now, it's probably a $10 billion bug bounty. That gives it a lot of confidence. Um, so that, that's, that's a good thing. You know, actually, speaking of Bitcoin, I, want it, I, I should get into the hard fork before we get too far and we lose all the viewers because you know, I can talk forever about everything. Um, but right. I want to talk, talk about hard forks and soft forks and Bitcoin and Ethereum. So okay. the way Bitcoin works is that there are these things called unspent transaction outputs. Let me just say, I have a master's degree in digital currencies. Okay, um, so this stuff is complicated, but it doesn't have to be, right? It's really easy. In Bitcoin, there are no such thing as a balance. The, the balance is, is um, kind of read off the blockchain because you can, what do they call that? Like a chain of custody. There's kind of a chain of custody that you can follow all the way through from the origin of the Bitcoin all the way to the unspent transaction output to verify that this is truly uh, you know, a coin that this guy holds and is a real Bitcoin. In Ethereum, it's very different. In Ethereum, there are balances. So instead of um, like a token contract, there's none of this like chasing coins as they get transferred. It's just a simple array. It says an address and it says the balance of that address. And when there's a transfer that happens, there's a line that says add token to this balance. And then it Adds it adds money. It adds money to the the integer there in that array. In the simple, it's just a database like an Excel spreadsheet. It's see like an address and a balance. And every time a token is transferred, it just changes this number in this Excel spreadsheet. So then, uh, when you do a hard fork in Bitcoin, you have to roll back every transaction and make sure that it goes all the way back. So and then start from a new point. For Ethereum, it's very different. You don't have to do that at all. It's much more modular, and it has it gives it gives the decentralized autonomous organization that is Ethereum uh, the opportunity to make a change that doesn't affect everyone. So, for this DAO, um, for this hard fork, it would be very possible to just uh, to simply. And this is actually a plan that Gavin, uh, Vitalik, and Christoph Jensch have all been working on together to like see if we do a hard fork, or at least if we want to give the the uh, miners and the community of Ethereum the opportunity to do a hard fork. We can actually change the bytecode for the DAO and replace that with another bytecode. So that would just be one solid state change. We change the DAO's bytecode, which is basically the bytecode is kind of like all the machine numbers that represent the solidity code, the actual code that people can read. So if we change the bytecode to be just a simple contract that gives refunds, that's it. It's a really simple contract. And then we take all of the all of the um, all of the ether that was in child DAOs 
and transfer them to that contract, the people who deserve that money will be able to collect it. And that's all that would change. Every transaction, all the exchanges, none of that would have to be rolled back. Everything could stay the same. All we would have to do is uh, basically what would end up happening is we end up stealing the money back from the attacker, putting it back in the DAO. We kill the DAO and everyone gets their money back. It seems like an it seems like a great opportunity. It seems like a a real and a real way that we can say as Ethereum, hey, we're not going to be thwarted by a block size debate. You know, this is now the DAO debate, and it's are we going to do a hard fork to steal money from the attacker and give it back to the people who were attacked? And uh, I, of course, talk to the DAO token holders every day. And no matter what I think about hard forks or my philosophical uh, beliefs, I don't care because I want to help my friends out. And, uh, and I, I know the people that have lost so much money in this. And I really think th that to allow the attacker to profit off of this attack would be when it's relatively easy to, to solve the problem without affecting the whole ecosystem would be a huge mistake and would just encourage attackers and hackers to continue to attack this. But if we can roll it back, um, uh, excuse me, roll back the whole existence of the DAO and, mm -hmm. and basically we could wipe that out, that would, that, that would make attacking other smart contracts a lot less, especially the big ones like this, a lot less, um, uh, you know, um, profitable or, you know, it would dis it would disincentivize it. Well, I've I've seen arguments that uh, you know that this this was an implementation where the documentation was the code itself, right? Mm -hmm. And this this attacker found the fine print in the contract, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, he didn't he didn't do anything that countermanded the actual code that was there. He didn't uh, do like a stack overflow attack or some other vector of attack. He attacked the code that was actually written. So the the DAO did perform as written and the yeah, money I mean, did go can do right right so um you, you know it's it's a bit troubling for someone who wants to put their faith in in the future um you know contract and also is is do we lose faith in yeah. ether as well if the community can roll back uh you know based on you know some sort of majority of the mining power if they, if they decide to roll back a decision what does that say about the immutable nature or the uh, consensus nature of the computing that's happening on the Ethereum network? Personally, I actually think it would be a huge boom to the consensus uh, power of the Ethereum network. Because this, of course, would not be... I mean, obviously, hey, if Slocket had the power, you know, or if the DAO token holders had the power, it would be done already. We would have fixed it and we would have done this. But it's not our decision. We are not the miners. We are not the people who... Uh, have control of the ecosystem and which dApps are pointing to, you know, um, there's a debate on whether how much even the miners need to agree to this because the ecosystem is a very broad topic. All the exchanges and all the things, if there was a hard fork, if the hard fork option, when the hard fork option is created, because it seems that um, Gavin and Christoph and a few other, uh, and Vitalik and, and well, I don't know. Vitalik is kind of a middleman. He he's he just wants 
there to be a good consensus, I think. I, I, don't, I haven't gotten to personally talk to him other than Skype, right? But uh, just mm-hmm. chatting. But uh, Well, the doubt, the doubt said Ethereum people, itself is perfectly safe. Yes. Right? He said Ethereum that in his blog just, post, Ethereum itself is perfectly safe. Yeah. But is the is the trust in Ethereum safe? Is the well, this is what I'm saying safe? is that the, the consent this is a proof of work protocol and the consensus is everything. And if there is a consensus to do anything with the network, but it it can only be done with consensus. So if the miners say, Hey, you know, there was fourteen percent of the ether involved in here, you know. We are DAO token holders, or you know, four uh, percent of the ether went to this attacker, and mm-hmm. do we want to incentivize this attacker? If if the miners decide that this it would be better for the Ethereum protocol, uh, the miners, the exchanges, the people who create DApps, if they all decide that it'd be better for the Ethereum protocol to uh, attack the attacker and give the funds back to the DAO token holders. Then awesome, you know. If not, awesome. I, so what I, kind of a, what kind I of really, consen- I, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What, what kind of a consensus do you need? What do the, how many miners have to agree to run this patch that you're talking about? This is very debatable because if a hard fork happens, you could see there being two tokens: the ether token uh, that uh, two ether tokens, effectively, mm-hmm. and there would be the ability for let's say let's say 30% of the miners support the hard fork and 70% don't well if every person who wants to use ethereum says we prefer the hard fork chain then those miners are mining worthless tokens because there's no exchanges that are using them there's no um, there's no dapps that are using them there's no this is vlad zamir's uh, argument to me because I also, I'm from the Bitcoin space. So I'm like, no, miners have complete control over everything. And Ethereum, that's a little bit different because the actual value of the network is not the token itself. It's, it is the value of the network. It is the network of developers and, and uh, exchanges and all the things that you can do with Ethereum. And so there would be two Ethereums and the ones that people want to use would probably be the one that wins out. Although, of course, it's going to need miners, but... If the mining, if the one every, if the token everyone is using, uh, is has a low mining thing, people will switch because they mm-hmm. want to sell tokens that people want to use. So mm-hmm. the miners are important, and they will. I, I mean, I think the miners will probably end up being the ones that make the end decision. But it's really, I mean, this is we're in a new frontier here. This is Ethereum, not Bitcoin. So we have to remember that there's a lot, lot a lot of going on indeed indeed so do you have a view on how this will unfold is this have you have you contacted uh, uh, the mining community and and are do you have a view on whether they will go for this or not uh, there is there is a debate I I, what is really interesting is that no one is debating a soft fork Uh, well I shouldn't even say that there are of course a couple people that don't like the soft fork idea which I haven't talked about yet um, okay. Right now, um, there is a parity client already. Gavin has already created a soft fork, and uh, so I believe, and I believe um, Jeffrey is working on the Geth one. And uh, there's, it's going to take a couple days to do all the bug testing and everything. But there, we want to create a soft fork that will at least stop any DAOs from leaking money. 
So basically, stop the DAOs. No more DAOs that use this bytecode can move their funds around. The Ether will be locked. And that would be the first step towards a hard fork. So uh, if we lock everyone's money in, in the DAOs, which they're already locked for at least 27 days, because in every DAO that has ever split off of the DAO, all of that Ether is still contained in DAOs. It has not been able to go into the ecosystem. So, And that's an important part about this whole hard fork idea. Every Ether that was ever used to create DAO tokens is still stuck in a DAO. It's, it has not hit exchanges. So we have an opportunity to stop, to like, kind of play with it and massage it so that everyone is made whole again. Um, the exact details, of course, that's going to take some coding. Um, there's child DAO tokens that have to be able to re redeem uh, their ether. There's, uh, there's, uh, all, you know, how are we going to do the snapshot, the trades? There's a lot of questions still, but these are all very solvable. And uh, the, you know, there might even be, we'll see exactly how it develops. But I do believe that. Because uh, right when this happened, it was almost unanimous. Everyone wanted a hard fork. Just undo it. It just made sense, you know, because because it was possible. Um, right now, that we don't have to make that decision now. We only have to make the decision of a soft fork as soon as possible to prevent DAO to to prevent Ether that is in DAOs from ever moving. And then we can think about the hard fork. And I I I like a a I like an approach of calm and curious, asking questions and, and having a, a friendly debate between people who are all on the same team. We all want Ethereum to succeed. And whatever is decided via consensus, I personally will support. But I'll tell you right now, I'm firmly in the hard fork camp because you know I talk to DAO token holders all day. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and do you have any idea what the what the people who are opposed to a hard fork where they're coming from? Yeah, uh, the the real issue is this is not a problem with the EVM, the the sorry the the Ethereum virtual machine. Yes. The Ethereum is a computer. You know, um, in other hard forks, it was a clear issue with the EVM had a bug, and so yeah, we need a hard fork because. Otherwise, there's no other way to fix it. Um, the the thing here is we can just allow the hacker to take his money. He, like you said, he wasn't he wasn't breaking any rules. Technically, he was following the rules of the contract. And the problem is, you know, if you write a contract in any gov in any legal jurisdiction that says kill this guy, a contract should be val invalidated. Uh, so. Because it, it's not it's not nice, <laughs> um, and so uh, I I I personally am not I don't really see the validity of that argument. Yes, he followed the contract, and by following that contract, he robbed ten thousand people of funds that they felt were secure. So that's not that's not cool. Right. Well, and and but but the um, the idea behind smart contracts is that, that it's an indifferent mechanism. That's not susceptible yes. to intervention by, um, you know, some 
small subset of uh, developers or miners or or some somebody that could be captured, so to speak, right? Yeah. Oh, well, and it's not. It has to be. It's going to have to happen through a consensus, right? So. This and this is the proof of work. When we get out of proof of work, I mean, this is the whole thing. Ethereum is in Homestead. We have two more phases: uh, Metropolis and Serenity, right? And so we're looking for proof of stake and sharding, which will make a lot of this stuff impossible. But we're just not there yet. Uh, the Ethereum network is still evolving, and this is an interesting. This will be an interesting debate, and uh, I think. The 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 block size debate very traumatic issue for Bitcoin, and I hope that this debate is not the same for Ethereum. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, you know, I don't think that there is a right answer. There is not a right answer for any of this stuff. It, we're we're building the right answer together. And what do we want Ethereum to be? Do we want Ethereum to be? The decentralized, monetary, you know, dependable network that everyone is, you know, relying on to be provably fair. I mean, I think that's Bitcoin, and Ethereum is still developing what it wants to be. And if it wants to be a smart contract platform, then we'll see. We'll see what decision it makes and how it wants to structure its smart contracts. So how, how will this consensus be reached? How, like uh, you, you said that we've got 27 days to figure this out. Um, is, is it uh, yeah. just a matter of miners running this patch? Is that how it... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much that. it. If enough do it and enough... Um, uh, it's going to be kind of like the idea of the, blo- of the block size change hard forks, right? So uh, the exact details, I'm not the guy coding it up. You know, if you want to, maybe next time we should go get Gavin on the phone. Um, but but he, we're going... Over my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I can talk to normal people because I am a normal person. And, uh, and so exactly how it's going to go, I mean, there's thousand different ways but it could be as simple as hey at this block anyone who's running this thing there's going to be a state change in the ethereum network that says this DAO is now different and mm-hmm. anyone can go get their money now and then and then it just moves on and then the people who support that and maybe they'll find a consensus mechanism like a lot of the bitcoin um classic and bitcoin all those other bitcoin uh changes where Oh yeah, if it has seventy percent of the mining consensus, then then this becomes true. If not, it stays false. It could is be it, uh, it could be as simple as that. Is it is it safe to say that this thing will be resolved within the twenty seven days? We will know what what which way it will go um, within the next three weeks or so. I mean, the thing is, with the soft fork, it doesn't have to, because the soft fork would prevent any tokens from being moved out of DAOs forever. Uh, so. Until the soft fork, the soft fork is a temporary fix. It's a temporary thing. To at least this is how it's being proposed. It's a temporary thing to just give us time to really analyze and figure out what is best for Ethereum, and then we can go from there. And so, that, so that needs to happen first, and then the the hard fork comes later. Yeah, and the the hard fork can be. I mean, if the hard fork could be implemented within the 27 days, which is really 20, it's probably really 41 days technically, because it takes once the DAO is free to make decisions after its creation phase, mm-hmm. then still has to 
before it can move money. So like, let's say that attacker DAO, it's now been 26, it's been one day in its creation phase. That attacker DAO has 26 more days before it can do anything. And then on that first day, it can make a proposal to send 3.5 million ether to somebody's address. And anyone in that DAO would have to vote for it, but there's a two week debating period. And then the money could move out. So technically, it's 41, 40 days now that the attacker, we have time to, without a soft fork to just do with a hard fork solution. But doing a soft fork solves some other issues that are more technical. So it, it would just, it's kind of a good idea. Well, and one issue it solves is if the DAO gets attacked again, it, it would stop that. So what, um, what, what, do you have any advice for a uh, Ethereum uh, holders or, or miners, or people participating in the Ethereum ecosystem, and, and two uh, holders of the DAO tokens? Is there anything to do right now? You know, I was giving advice on the Slack. I mean, kind of advice, at least keeping, trying to keep people updated on what's going on the best I could because there was a lot going on. Um, yes. But um, I was told many times on the Slack not to give investment advice because I might get sued. And it's like, oh God, okay. Um, but the best advice I can do is to study your situation and do what you think is best. Um, I mean, the end, I'll be all, I, I don't see this being resolved in the next two weeks. And so you have to take that into consideration and, you know, just keep informed, get on our Slack, ask questions, stay calm and curious. That's been my, I've been echoing that because sometimes, you know, when money's involved, people get really riled up and yes. it's just not productive. You know, I really hope that people can have a calm and curious debate. Uh, not attacking people, saying their mom is whatever, you know, like this just doesn't help anything. Staying on topic, figuring out what's best for you as an individual, figure out what's best, what you think is best for the Ethereum community as a whole, and then vote with your, vote with your, you know, with your tokens effectively. Because okay. this is the thing, you know, we created the DAO and that's the first DAO of its kind, but Ethereum is also a DAO. Uh, Bitcoin is a DAO. And if these right. DAOs decide to reach consensus in their own way, then um, then things will happen. And okay. anyone who, any, everyone who is in the Ethereum network uh, can, has their own stake in Ethereum and they get to vote. Okay, okay. So, so DAO holders, even though we've established that the, the DAO is, is dead, there's still the matter of uh, DAO tokens that people have yeah. control over that they will have to make decisions about going forward over the next uh, 27, 41 days, however much time it ends up being. Um, mm -hmm. There's not. Is there some sort of default action that will happen? Like, will Ether be revert back to the original address, or or will there undoubtedly it's be unknown? It's unknown. Like exactly, if you if you hold DAO tokens, then you should um, watch the debate closely on the hard fork op opportunities because, you know, um, there. The, I'll, I will at least say your options. You can split the DAO and get your portion of Ether back that is still in the DAO. You can um, hold your DAO tokens. You can trade your DAO. You and just wait to see what happens with the hard fork and and see if they're going to undo it. And anyone who holds DAO tokens at that time potentially could get the full amount of DAO, uh, full amount of their either. I mean, the hard fork is going to determine a lot of this, like what is the best to do with DAO tokens. 
Uh, it's hard to speculate on that. I'm sure that's what these markets are for. So you can always trade your DAO tokens. And luckily, these prediction markets that we call uh, cryptocurrency markets, they they will kind of tell you, is it likely to get a hard fork or not? Uh, if Are the DAO tokens of value right now or not? It, I really don't know. Uh, yeah. So what's the what's the best source of information for the DAO holder to is it is it the Slack channel is it the DAO hub where should people I mean, be get, getting their information with regard to making these decisions? DAOHub.org is a great place. The Slack, um, the DAO Slack is a great place. Mm-hmm. Uh, our blog, blog.slockit, blog.slock.it is an excellent place for information. Um, you know we've been working for free for the last year it feels like uh, since september at least i've been on the team and um we're gonna i mean this is important to us we're gonna keep like we're gonna keep working on it and uh and hopefully hopefully uh a good outcome comes out where um the attacker doesn't profit from this and everyone who um, wanted to change the world by participating in a revolutionary dao um gets their money back that's that's what i'm hoping for I'm still holding out for it, but we'll see. Well, we will see. And, um, you know, hopefully the entire ecosystem will be older and wiser, maybe a little grayer uh, as a consequence of all this thing. But, um, yeah. but, the, but you know, like, like with Bitcoin, every problem that arises creates uh, more strength after the fact. And hopefully that will be the case. I mean, I think the, the idea of a distributed autonomous organization will, has not died today, right? No. Um, and these it things... Um, these these things that will live on, and the next DAO will will solve these problems and uh, maybe encounter a new problem. Right? But, uh, oh yeah. That's how it works right now. We are, we are in the wild west, and um, well, the, you know, these things happen. Yeah, and one of the problems that I hope people um, get to see with this DAO um, and its evolution, and one of the biggest things that I learned in this project, I definitely want to impart, is that the culture is almost as important as the code. The having everyone's roles identified, what people do, what I mean, the code, of course, is incredibly important. Um, but nothing can work in a decentralized organization unless people know their roles and what they're supposed to do and how um, and communication channels are built up and, and and forums are built up. And we we were hoping that the DAO could do a lot of this work on its own. And that we would write the code and we could step back and mm-hmm. let the DAO be as autonomous as possible. But uh, one thing, I think that DAOs need a little bit of a guidance into the culture more than we were choosing to provide. And so, you know, what do the curators do? What do DAO token holders do? How do we vote? How do we do all this stuff? I think, uh, I think that that was a, a major learning lesson that, of course, you know, of the multitude of lessons learned in this project, I really hope that culture becomes an important uh, important consideration for the future DAOs. Well, you know, it's interesting when this thing went wrong, it, it reminded me of, you know, days past when things went wrong with Bitcoin and the community does come together. I know you're talking about the culture of the actual development uh, team and how they, how they split their responsibilities and how they collaborate in a crisis like this. But also the entire community kind of, you know, you know that you can't really defer to the authorities. I mean, try and, try and chase this guy who's, who created the dark DAO with a, with yeah. a you know, and 
a regular legal system and you'd probably be quite challenged. So it really is up to the community to come to the aid, to work together, to collaborate. I know there's a lot of foul language, a lot of flame wars and a lot of uh, strong yeah. opinions, but it does, it does seem to me that the community rallies and, and solves its own problems, which, uh, which is a fantastic thing to see. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't echo that enough. I really have been. Imp- I mean, I can't tell you how many people times I'm scrolling through. It's like I've been working on this since 5 a.m. I finally finished it. Here's what I think happened, you know. And then, I mean, so many people are dedicating their time. There's so many blog posts, so many Reddit posts of individuals that are looking at the code and really trying to figure out what happened and other people that are trying to help them in certain ways. I mean, little little organizations are forming you know, uh, that are publishing blog posts collaboratively. I mean, it's really amazing how in any kind of tragedy, a lot of people will get together. And even if they don't like each other or, you know, something for when when there's something to work on together, people really collaborate and help each other out. They're sure there's flame wars and some people that they're not trying to help, you know, but there's I've been completely impressed by uh, the, especially the community that's been with in in the Slack for you know a couple months, that really already they did the down ninja trading and they did you know they they uh, are forming organizations to make proposals to the DAO later and they have been working with the community and and organizing DAOHub.org and I mean Felix, Oren, Taylor, uh, so many uh, Dan, Dan and. I, there's just so many people. I don't. I shouldn't even name any of them because there's so many that have really stepped up. The Slack has been incredible. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you guys. I, I just want to say thank you guys so much. You guys are a pleasure to work with. Yes. And and do you feel like there's any any chance that people will hold this whole thing against you personally or um, give you a hard time in the future or your next project? Do you, do you see that at all? Yeah, you know, I I don't know. We'll see. I I hope not. Obviously, um, I, I it's important that people like me, <laughs> but uh, but I don't know. I, I think I, I think that there's two ways to look at it. You could say, oh man, these guys were part of a project that really failed, and I don't know if I want to associate with them, or you could see it as, wow, those guys have been through war, and they're battle tested. I think they're gonna, you know, I mean. If they audit a smart contract, they're probably going to take it seriously. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. I, I, you know, we have really been putting Slocket on the back burner and just looking at the DAO and trying to, as kind of the the, the story of the last eight months. Um, mm-hmm. We're 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 just looking at the DAO. What happens to Slocket and how we move move forward? That'll be next week. I see. So, so what uh, what what will happen with Slocket? How does Slocket fit into this? I mean, obviously the DAO has has failed, and the Slocket is still an entity that can submit its proposal to the, the next DAO or get funding in some other way, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously uh, anyone who's watched me talk, all I care about is universal sharing network and bringing an access based economy. That's all I want to do, and I know that this team is the team to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely need a DAO to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see the path forward. I mean, we want to build the Ethereum computer. We've had it ready for almost a year now. So. Uh, 
we'll see. Uh, the, like I said, how does Slocket move forward? That's next week. We just don't have the time right now. We're trying to worry, figure about hard forks and and com- try to get as much information. Just at least yeah, me, I'm trying to get as much information stuff. Yeah, for, put out there and haven't even really had time to think. What does Slocket do? I mean, yes, we've had yes. we've had clients that we've been turning down forever. Probably we'll start taking some of them because mm-hmm. we'll see. Well, you know, I, I know you to be a sincere person, and um, that goes a long way, I think, in this space where you you know you, lots of people are you know trying to make a quick buck or you know maybe um, gaming systems. I mean, who knows what the motivations were for this person who created the the dark DAO? Um, yeah. And uh, for, for me, sincerity trumps everything. You know, there's people that are trying to make the world better and they're, they're swimming in shark-infested waters, right? I mean, you, you create something um, and it's got to survive in the, uh, in the wild, wild west that is crypto. Um, and it's a, it's a dangerous world out there. Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin featured content from Adam, Filter Show, and Griff Green. Music was provided by Jared Rubens, and today's magic word is smart. That's S-M-A-R-T. Email questions or comments to adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. See you next time.